Welcome to Brad Golf Podcast, podcast for the average golfer. My name is Dermot Bradfield and golf is in my blood. Join me as I fumble my way around this fascinating sport. Welcome back to Brad Golf. It's the 16th of September 2020. This is episode 17 of the Brad Golf Podcast series. This week, we're going to recap on the Safeway Open and we're going to look at Nigel's picks for the US Open. Obviously, the first major of the year is a big discussion point this week. We'll also discuss current events on PGA Tour and back at home in Ireland as well. Please, as always, subscribe to the podcast. You'll find Brad Golf TV on Anchor, Google, Apple, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Casts, and Radio Public. Please follow, like, retweet, and share on social media. You'll find Brad Golf TV on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube. And you'll find bradgolf.ie on Facebook. Contact us today on bradgolftv at gmail.com. If there's anything you'd like us to cover in the weeks ahead, we'd love to cover it for you. So let's get this party started. Hello, Nigel, and welcome back. Dermot, how are you? You keep well? I'm good, thanks. It's major week already, so we've just started a new season. Exciting times. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's yeah, Obviously, it's unprecedented to have the... Uh, US Open in September, right at the start of the season. Absolutely. But it's actually a good time of year to play in New York. Uh, the course should be in an excellent condition. And it's it's an iconic course with a seriously competitive field. And it's going to be a great tournament. But more importantly, a bit like the PGA, back when we, we were reviewing the PGA, we had something more important that week, which was the match, right, between foursomes match between yourself and myself much the same way this time around with the US Open there's something bigger afoot so we've got our own major back at home in Donabate Golf Club which is the captain's prize so that's obviously the pinnacle of the golf season at our club and most clubs in Ireland is the captain's prize um, in America they call them like the, the club championships uh, it would be the equivalent and um, so for the captain's prize in Donabate it's a two Saturdays, or sorry, two weekend events. So you play your qualifier on uh, the first weekend, which is an 18-hole strokes competition. And the top, you know, 150 players or whatever will get into the second weekend. But it's a staggered timesheet or a, a, a timesheet where the leaders go out at the end. So we get to see the leaders finish on the final weekend, which is this Saturday, the 19th. 18-hole uh, stroke play again. So it's your combined score across the two. Um, 140 is usually a good mark um, for a par 72 that's about four under your handicap over the two days that's usually a good mark as to what you might need to win uh, there thereabouts so Nigel you're going out in the fourth last group at half one so you're you're looking over the shoulders of the um, of, of the leaders there you shot a 71 on day one 67 is the lead at the minute uh, so you're four back, but in perfect position, if you ask me, going into the final day. The pressure is on the guys ahead of you, and you can chase. So how did it go on day one? How did you feel day one went for you in the qualifier? Yeah, obviously, I played pretty well. There were a couple of things I'm annoyed about, because I think, like so many rounds, the most golfers have, you know, you wish you could have done a few things better, not made stupid mistakes or whatever. I three-putted the 18th from a good position, really, which was a bit... I was I was a bit foxed by the green, really. I thought there was a lot more break in it, and there really wasn't. So I missed a, an easy par putt, really. So that was a bad finish to the, the round. But generally, I'm happy enough. It had hit a few bad... I played the par fives badly. Right. I had three sixes on, 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 on three of the five par fives, so... But I had at least pars there, you know, oh, yeah. it would have been even better. But all in all, I, I played the par trees very well, you know, so. I had a short conversation with you on the uh, 7th blue. So that's the 16th hole. And you were, you, were, you were confident at that stage. You know, I'd asked, how are you getting on, lads? Any good scores? Any big scores? And Daryl said, yeah, very big score. Uh, but uh, yourself, you said, yeah, I'm going pretty well at that stage. Um, so I, was, I wasn't surprised to see you at a 71 at the end. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a good position to be in. As I said, just would have liked to be a couple better. 
Uh, yeah. But I'm still in there with a good chance. Yeah. Well, I've done a rough count. Now, this this is not very scientific here, but I've done a rough count on the names that are ahead of you. I, I think there are six players ahead of you that are eligible to win. I could be corrected on that, but I think there's around six ahead of you. So that puts you in seventh place. Yeah. I kind of I didn't recognize I didn't recognize a lot of the um, some of the names that were ahead of me like yeah there's a, there's a strange there's yeah a few new members to the club and in their first year that you wouldn't be eligible to win the captain's prize so there's there's about six in there that I reckon are eligible obviously Brian Ennis is the favorite um, at six at, with a 67 Brian finished runner-up last year and he gave it a real good goal last year I mean he was he was in contention coming down the back nine. Uh, and he's playing well at the moment. Oh, he's playing really well at the moment. Um, last couple of weeks have been really good. Presidents, as you said, he, he won his class. He's won a medal this year as well. If I, I could be corrected on that, but I'm pretty sure he has won a medal this year. Yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a dangerous player and strokes seems to suit his game. You know, the presidents, the medals. Yeah. Last year. But with you breathing over his shoulder, you know, I wouldn't like to be in his shoes. I'll put it that way. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Coming, the dark horse coming on, on, on the, the home straight, on the rails. Absolutely. So, yeah, so I'm looking forward to it. So half one, you're out. The leaders are out at two on Sunday. No, sorry, Saturday, Saturday the 19th. Um, I do have to wish Brian Foley, he's a, he's a fan of the pod, I have to wish him good luck as well on the day. Um, he's in that, that final group, so he's an exciting day ahead of him. There's nothing like being in the final group, I have to say. Um, in previous years, at least, the balcony would be heaving by the time you're coming in. And uh, it's, it's great to play into such a big crowd there coming down the stretch. But I'm sure, you know, even half an hour before the final group, you'll have a big crowd to hit into there at the end, which will be, which will be fun and games. Hopefully have a socially distanced crowd. Yeah, absolutely. There's, pl- there's plenty of room at the back of the green anyway to kind of keep apart. There so, is. Uh, you know, a big balcony for, for a few people to, to go out and have a beer and watch you coming in. So, yeah, it should be exciting. So that's all ahead this weekend. That's the big one. That's the big one. But secondary to that, we have, of course, the, um, the US Open. So moving on then, bef- before we go to um, the US Open and other news, uh, let's just recap quickly on the Safeway Open. So. Stuart Sink and his son Regan on the, on, the, on the bag, victorious. The last win for him was that famous Open Championship at Turnberry 2009 where he beat Tom Watson in a playoff. So he was the bad guy that weekend. No one wanted him to win. Everyone wanted Tom Watson to win. Watson had been the final hole par short of a famous victory uh, when he faulted and Sink stepped in to seal the win. It was... Uh, the weekend at the Safeway it was his sixth tour win. He's, he was quoted afterwards as saying, we call it when the bullets are flying out there. The last four or five holes of a PGA Tour event, your name's on top of the leaderboard. Think about it. I've got my son caddying for me. My wife is almost five-year remission now, and she's walking out there just on the side of the ropes. And at 47, unable to compete at the highest level, and now not just compete, but win. So... Delighted for the guy. Going back to 2009, you weren't at that by any chance. I know you're, you're a regular at the Open. Were you at that one, Nigel? No, no. I watched that on TV. My dad went to Turnberry on the Friday, I think. Right. He watched it. But no, I, I watched that one from home. It was, you know, obviously he was the bad guy on, at the weekend. No one wanted him to win. But it was great to see that he was now the good guy and everyone wanted him to win this weekend at 47 years of age. And to get that win, he's now fully exempt through this season and two more. So that, that covers him until he's 50. And at that stage, he can move on to the PGA Champions Tour. Um, so, and he's also going to be in the 2021 Players' Championship, the Masters, and so on. So uh, really, you know, fantastic achievement for the guy at this later stage of his career. So, yeah. What did you think of his win? Yeah, it was a great... Great win, great win. Really was he was very solid down the the back nine. He only made one little mistake at a three putt on seventeen, but he'd already, you know, created distance and clear clear daylight between himself and the rest of the challengers. Uh, he had a two shot lead at least at, at that stage. Harry Higgs put some pressure on him, but 
uh, he was a little bit inconsistent. He's an exciting player to watch, though, and he's he's a bit of a character. Neither of which neither of these guys I I tipped up, unfortunately. I think Charles Schwartzel was my best uh, chance going into the last day. Unfortunately, unfortunately, Charles only had a a one under par round or a two under par round, so he was a few shots out of getting into places. Bit of a disappointing start to the season in, in, in those terms, but it was a strange tournament, you know, six players yeah. on a course that was yielding a lot of birdies. We even see, we saw Harry Higgs have an albatross on Friday. You know, it was, it's hard to pick a winner in, in that sort of um, cavalry charge of a, of a tournament. And also with a reduced field as well. So, I mean, yeah, you, you know, some of the players there, there's no known quantity in, in that field as well. That would have made it hard. So, I mean, mm. forgive you, you're allowed one bad week, and I stress one. Um, well, not a bad week, but one week where you don't <laughs> cash for us. So we'll allow that. But considering your return, since the return of golf, how, how well you've performed on the picks, I think we'll, we'll allow that. Okay, so moving on then from the safe way to other news. So DJ... Was named a PGA, not surprisingly, PGA Tour uh, Player of the Year. Scotty Scheffler named Rookie of the Year. Uh, DJ won the Tour Player of the Year back in 2005, 2016, sorry, 2015 and 2016 season. And Scheffler was one of two rookies to make it into the Tour Championship. He didn't win this season, but he finished fifth on the final FedEx points list, which was a fantastic achievement. Seven top 10 finishes. A tie for fourth at the PGA as well, which was you know, fantastic achievement, um, which was the only P- major played in the last season. And he became the 11th player to record a sub-60 with a 59 at the Northern Trust. So I, would you have any issue with either of those winning those awards, DJ or Scotty Scheffler? Or is there someone else that you reckon was a close second even or could have gotten the, the awards? I have no problem with them really. Yes. As I think we discussed this before, maybe that maybe Morikawa had a shout for player of the year, and also JT who had two three wins, which kind of were spread out over the whole season. Of course, yeah. But you know, DJ was so impressive at, at the end, at the business end of the turn of the season. You know, and to go runner up, win, runner up, win to finish the season. You know, I think deserves player of the year. Yeah. And the world number one as well, just like, but yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's very hard to look beyond him. You could say possibly Victor Hovland could have had a shout for a rookie of the year because he actually had a win and Sheffer didn't have a win. But I think Sheffer was more consistent over the year. Yeah. So I, I'd, I'd have given him the rookie of the year too. Yeah. Other news, it was big news last week, but I'm going to cover because we didn't get to it. Uh, by the time we finished our pod last week, I'd say within the hour, it was announced that Brooksy was pulling out of the US Open due to his ongoing knee injury. Uh, big loss to the field. He won 2017, 2018, but not too surprising considering you know he did pull out of the, the FedEx series and people thought, okay, maybe that's with a view to him getting back in time for the US Open, but it now looks like you know, at best, we might get him back for the, for the Masters in November. Uh, disappointing, but not, not that surprising, I'm sure, Nigel, on your side, that Brooksy had to pull out. It was both disappointing and unsurprising, really. He was getting a lot of physio uh, on that injury up towards the end of the season. He looked very ragged towards the end. I think he probably will regret playing at the Wyndham Championship. Yeah the last tournament, the last regular season tournament before the playoffs. He missed the cut there and I think he was in a desperate kind of uh, move to get make more points for the FedEx Cup or get a bit of form. And I think he aggravated it there. Didn't play in the FedEx Cup series and hasn't really recovered in time for this week's US Open. So, I mean, he's already got two US Opens. I guess if he wasn't 100%, he knew the, the challenge that was coming. Uh, and felt that you know he wouldn't be up to it, and I think he, I think you're right. He has his eyes set in the Masters in November, yeah. and being 100% for that. Yeah, according to Kevin Cunningham, then at golf.com, this is an interesting one. I don't know if you saw this news, Nigel. Uh, some lad in America has put 45 grand, 45,000 dollars on Philly Mick to win the US Open. I saw that, yeah. 
<laughs> so this is for this 50-year-old Philly Milkinson, uh, to six times runner-up at the US Open, to get his slam. Uh, he got him at 75 to 1. Uh, Phil Mickelson tweeted then, I heard someone placed 45K on me to win the Open at 75 to 1. Pays 3.3 million. He said, hoping for both of us, I have a three-shot lead on 18T. So, um, <laughs> and worth noting here that 3.3 million is more than what Phil Mickelson would get. So, that's, that's quite a significant wager there on Phil Mickelson. I presume on that basis, he's got to be your first pick in your picks today. What do you think of that? 45 grand, some people. Yeah, well, this guy, I read that, that story myself. And um, I think that guy is a, is a regular uh, to that. It's some casino out near Nevada or out in Nevada anyway, or near Vegas. Yeah, and they they know the guy, and he's a he's a bit of a high roller. Yeah. So um, yeah, they, I don't know, crazy money really. But it yeah. did did kind of um, sway my thoughts a bit, and I included Phil. Oh, all right, so we're going to hear my list. So, yeah, I think yeah. it's it's a bit of a nostalgic pick. It's a bit of a, you know, he's he's eighty to eighty to one. We do like a not the word. nostalgic pick on, on, on this pod, though, I must say. And he's, yeah. he, he's been mentioned a few times, and he's, you know, he's featured. Um, so, yeah, I look forward to it. According to Sky Sports, then, Gray McDowell has confirmed he's going to miss out on the Dubai duty-free Irish Open. First time since 2001. He's going to defend his Corrales Punta Cana Resort and Club Championship title. So, in a statement that he released on Instagram, he said... I've made a very difficult decision to not travel and compete in this year's duty free or Dubai duty free Irish Open at Galgorm Castle. I have never failed to attend this great event in 18 previous years and regret that due to the necessary changes to the event, traveling and scheduling issues, I am choosing to not play this year. I will be competing that same week at the Corrales Punta Cana Resort and Club Championship, defending the title I won in 2019. Defending a title is something special and an honour I have to take seriously all my career. Under normal circumstances, defending this would not take priority over playing my home open, but unprecedented circumstances make this a better option for me at this time. I want to apologise to GP and take an opportunity to again thank them for this for the wonderful commitment they've made to the Irish Open to put it back on the map. We will hopefully be back in 2021 with the event at full strength. So... That was a, a, a bit of a disappointment for the Irish Open. One of the main reasons they moved it north of the border was to allow for players like Graham McDowell to return and Shane Lowry and so on, and Rory, if, uh, if, if, even though it was very unlikely. But as they were playing in the Open, the, the US Open this weekend, it gave them a chance of potentially making it back home. And it looks like only Shane Lowry is going to make it back of the three guys. So, you know, disappointing for the Irish Open. I'm a little bit disappointed with GMAC for not coming yeah. back. I mean, it's it's only down the road from where he grew up. Um, I know it's not a, an amazing course and it's only a small, it's a much smaller prize fund. Yes. But he was supposed to be the host this year. Yes. When it was originally in Mount Juliet and there was talk of him being host for two years and maybe bringing it up to Port Stewart again. So he's kind of suited himself in a way. Like yeah. I'd understand if he didn't play next week at all, but he's yeah. going to. He's still going to travel. He's going to fly to um, the Dominican Republic instead. It just doesn't sit well. May have to say. Yeah, he's Defending definitely suited himself, and he's he's you know I can understand maybe he is defending a, a, a title, you know, and. In certain respects, you know, why not go down to the Dominican Republic and play in lovely weather, and yeah. uh, rather than go to Ballymena, which is, I think, may have been re- recently under local lockdown from COVID. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I don't know. Well, I put it this way: Shane Lowry, if he was defending the title, he'd be coming over. You know, he would. He wouldn't even. He wouldn't even consider defending his title yeah in, in, yeah down there he, he'd be straight over on the flight and if the u.s open finished on tuesday he'd still be back over on the flight yeah that's the sort of guy he is he's kind of yeah. he is really committed to irish golf and to the irish open 
Yeah. And uh, GMAC has been committed before, but GMAC's essentially American now. Yeah. Yeah. He almost has the accent. Oh, if that's for sure. So, yeah, it's a disappointing. A bit of a blow for the Irish Open. I think they would have assumed almost that he was going to make it back over. Um, so he's. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Um, quickly then into rules corner. So, I. You know, I receive queries every week about the rules. So I got one this week from someone uh, who's asking about red stakes versus yellow stakes. Someone who asked to remain nameless because it was something that happened in the captain's qualifier and they wanted a bit of clarification on it. Um, so this person should remain nameless. But red stakes versus yellow stakes. Nigel, can I put you on the spot? Do you mind if I put you on the spot? Go on. So with red stakes, you have three options. With yellow stakes, you have two options. So the two options on the yellow stakes, you also have those two options with the red stakes, but you have one additional option with the red stakes. So my question to you is, what's the additional option you have on red stakes in a penalty zone? Red stakes are for lateral water hazards. You can drop either side of the water hazard. It's not from where you crossed always. Now you can go the... Am I right? Wrong in saying this? I think you're going to be in trouble. I think you're going, All to, right, go on. You're going to be in trouble this week. So there's key points with both, red or yellow. So the key points are the point at which your ball crossed into the penalty area and the flag. So these two things are crucial in determining what you're going to do next on red or yellow. So the point at which you crossed, so not the entire penalty area, not where you found your ball, actually where your ball crossed into this penalty area. So that's the first key point. And the second key point is, where's the flag on that hole? So you have, in, with red stakes, you have three options. So option one is you go back to where you hit your original shot, take a one-shot penalty, obviously. You go back to where you played your original shot, and you can play a club length to the left or to the right, no closer to the hole. At that point of where you played that shot, you drop and you play Okay, so that's option one. That's actually the same option on yellow. You have an option of doing that also to go back to the original point. Option two on red is you go to your point of entry, which you know is a particular point at which your ball crossed into the hazard. And from that point, you can take two club links to the left or to the right, no closer to the hole. And that's your relief. Okay, so two club links to the left or to the right. Um, this is red, red stakes. Red. Yeah, this is at red stakes. So two club links to the left or to the right at that point of entry, no closer to the hole. Okay, so that's option two. That option is not available at a yellow hazard. That option is not available at a yellow hazard. The third option on the red stakes is you draw a line, an artificial line in your head between the flag and the point of entry. You draw that, right. and you can keep going back that line as far as you want. There's no limit on how far back. You I knew that that was available for both red and yellow. Yes, correct. So yeah. go back that line as far as you want, and on that line, you can drop a club length to the left or to the right um, of that line. So one club length on either side of that line, and that's your right. area for uh, for both yellow and red. So the additional option that's available on the reds that you don't get on yellows is the ability to drop at the point of entry two club links no closer to the hole. So you can go left or right, but no closer to the hole. Yeah, so there are your three options. It came up, the question was, on the red stakes. Um, so I'm going to set the scene. We're on the third yellow. We've got trees along the left-hand side, and there are red stakes underneath the trees where the hazard is. And someone hit a hook into those trees. They had the point of entry. Uh, where their ball would have crossed into the hazard. And they said, I'm going to take the option of going back the line, right? I'm going to go back. But they drew a line between where their ball was and where the tee box was. So they went back that line. And that's not the correct line to go back. Oh, that's, that's, that's not the correct line. No. Yeah, exactly. And the player in question asked me and said, I don't think that's right. Do you think that's correct? Well, this is after the event. And I said, yeah, absolutely. That is not correct. The line is between the flag and the point of entry, not the ball. So the ball isn't actually a factor at all anymore now that you found it. It's where did the ball cross? Where's that point? And draw a line to the flag. And as he said, technically speaking, he could well have been out on the sixth red fairway play his next shot if he wanted to draw that line. 
Yeah. So, and yeah. I guess you're correct. Which is the difference between, um, which is kind of the main distinction between red and yellow is the fact that you can, it, red is for lateral, so you, you don't really have that option normally to go back. So that's why you need to have the two club lengths away from the, the hazard. Correct, yes. Yeah. You know, as long as it's not, 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 not close to the hole. Yeah, so I know the RNA are trying to, you know, in a subtle way, get rid of the yellow hazards, the yellow penalty areas, sorry, I should call them, they're not hazards anymore, they're penalty areas. They're trying to do away with that and just have a consistent approach that all penalty areas would carry the red and you'd have three options. That's their, that's their plan. And a lot of clubs have been encouraged and have changed their penalty areas into red zones. I know in Donna Bay, we've very few yellows left. Um, but the, the, there's a, an overriding view from the RNA that clubs should simplify this by making everything the same, i.e. red. Yeah. Um, so we're going down that route. But yeah, so that's one I said I'd mention. It's one that people struggle with, even though it's a very common one, is the red and yellow penalty areas. People seem to struggle with that. And as I always say, there's two key points. Where did you cross and where's the flag? And then you can figure out everything else from there. Um, yeah. Where your ball is or where you found your ball, uh, that's, that's actually almost irrelevant. It's where did you cross? But anywho, right, moving on. That's Rules Corner done for this week. Moving on to the US Open. So here we are, the first major of the season. We're hardly a week into the new season. All the talk this week has been about winged foot. Rory said... This is the first time I've had a look at it. I played 18 holes on Monday and I loved what I saw. It's hard, obviously, but I think it's very, very fair. When I played Oakland for the first time, my initial reaction was this place is impossible. But this course gives you a little more chance if you miss it, I guess. You can run the ball up to the greens. Maybe it's a touch more playable, but it's a tough track and I'm still learning it as I go here. So it's all been talk about the course. It's a private golf club. And in New York, it was founded in 1921. It's an, uh, the no, sorry, it's west and the east course. The west course is where we're going to be based, designed by A.W. Tillinghast. Course is par 72, 7,264 yards. The course, Nigel, you've seen pictures and you've seen videos of it in the lead up to this. The course is definitely one of the main characters this weekend for the U.S. Open, as it should be. I think that's what the U.S. Open is supposed to be about. The major yeah. is the is the is the course. What's your view on it? Well, yeah, the course is probably the possibly the biggest star of the week. Really, uh, essentially, the greens are what kind of sets the wing foot apart. All the greens are different. They're they slope, they repel balls. They're different levels, different kind of pin positions. They're Andy Johnson on the fried egg has, has said that, you know, they're, they're masterpieces <laughs> such. Yeah. Uh, and because the rest of the course is very similar to a normal sort of parkland U.S. open course, but the green complexes are, are just very, very difficult. And uh, they were difficult to put on. They were difficult to chip onto uh, and to get, to get up and down on. So a short game seems to be a massive requirement this week. Yeah. So we've got some pairings of note then from an Irish perspective. So at 1.07pm tomorrow, Thursday, uh, Rory's out with Adam Scott and Justin Rose. Uh, 10 minutes after that, or 11 minutes after that, at 1.18 Irish time, we've got Matt Kuchar, Lucas Glover, and G Mack. Um, although we probably should exclude that pairing this week because he's abandoned us. But anyway, um, and at 6.05pm <laughs> in the evening, we've got Gary Woodland, Andy Ogletree and Shane Laurie. And now that you've just mentioned the up and down and the importance of the up and down, maybe, Shane, maybe this could be Shane Laurie's weekend. Who knows? Um, Rory won this one back in 2011, but it wasn't obviously at Wingfoot when he won the US Open back in 2011. But he's missed three of the last four US Open cuts, so he has some points to prove. Previous winners at Wingfoot, well, really, the big one here was back in 2006. Very, very dramatic finish to the US Open in 2006. Jeff Ogilvie basically was handed almost the, the title. He won it five over par. He beat Jim Fiorik, Phil Mickelson, and Colin Montgomery by one shot in what has been noted as one of the most dramatic finishes to the US Opens um, that there's ever been. So in order to explain to some of the viewers who may have 
not seen this one or know what happened. Can you talk us through what happened to Philly Mick? And I'll bring us through what happened to Colin Montgomery on the final hole where they were both, I suppose, on, on that tee in the lead. Uh, well, Phil needed a, a par to win it, but being Phil Mickelson as ever, he was very errant off the tee. He ended up hitting the hospitality tent off for, with his drive, but he got a good bounce back towards the fairway into into the rough. But it wasn't, you know, he had a chance of recovering and getting back in position. But Phil went for a bit of a miracle shot. Again, he tried to be too ambitious with a second shot and put it in even worse position. He ricocheted off the tree into even deeper rough. And from that point, I think he put it in the bunker and didn't get up and down. So he ended up with a double bogey and lost the tournament by a shot. By a shot, yeah. Uh, bogey would have got him into a playoff, yeah. He really, he really should have taken his medicine uh, off the tee uh, and played for the playoff you know, put himself back in position and, and try to get up and down. If he didn't get up and down, he'd still have the playoff. And it would have been an 18-hole playoff and he would have had a, a, as good a chance as, as any at winning that. Uh, I think he went for the win and, you know, the rest is history. Yeah. And he's got six runner-ups in the, in the US Open. I mean, yeah. And that was probably his best chance, really. Oh, yeah. Uh, in other situations when he, where he's come second, he's been beaten by a better player. I mean, he was beaten by Payne Stewart back in uh, Pinehurst in 99. He was beaten by Tiger in 02, Beth Page. I think it was Retief Houston beat him in pretty uh, fair and square at Southern Hills in 04. Justin Rose pipped him in uh, 2013 in Marion. But this was his best chance. Yeah, yeah. Well, Definitely yeah. his best chance. And also then with Monty. So Monty walked onto that 18T in a tie for the lead with Mickelson as well. So likewise, a par, you know, would have won it. Bogey would have got him into a playoff. Uh, Monty, you know, top player in Europe for years and years and years, uh, winning the Order of Merit, you know, is it nine times? He's won it a lot of times. Uh, you can correct me on that one. But uh, still no major. And he split the fairway. So, fantastic tee shot. He actually said it later. He said it was one of his best drives he's ever hit in a pressure situation. It is his usual high fade, which he was famous for, into the middle of the fairway. He had about 160 metres, uh, 155, 160 metres to the hole. Pens on the right-hand side of the green, so perfect for him to hit his left-to-right fade again. But he had to wait. And he had to wait about 15 minutes to hit the shot because Vijay, who had been ahead of him, Vijay Singh, he hit the same hospitality tent that, that uh, Phil Mickelson hit. But he had to get a ruling and he had to get a drop. And it was about 15 minutes that Monty had to wait before he could hit his shot. And in that 15 minutes, towards the end of that 15 minutes, he decided to change from a six iron to a seven iron right before hitting. He, he, he said afterwards that he thought the adrenaline would give him that extra distance. So he went with a shorter club. And of course, as you and I know, and any golfers will know, when you drop down a club like that, often you, you try and hit it that bit harder then. You know, you're, you kind of want to force your way through it, and he hit it fat. So he hit it fat, and he landed well short of the green and to the right of the green as well. So he was wrong side to miss, completely the wrong side to miss. He was below the green, and he had to chip up onto a putting surface that was sloping away from him. So it was, it was all against him now at this stage. He played the flop shot and went well past the pin and ran on. His power put went 10 feet past the hole and he missed the one coming back. So absolute disaster for him of a finish. He said he still has sleepless nights about this one. Um, of all of his career, that's the one that gives him sleepless nights. And I'd say this week in the build up to Wingfoot 2020, he hasn't been reminded of it much, I'd say. <laughs> um, and yeah, that bogey would have got him into the playoff and the six, which he finished with, put him in second place. So. Did you watch that one on TV, Nigel, back in the day? I'm trying to remember. I don't think I, I did watch some of that, the US Open that week, which is a long time ago now. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I have seen the footage, but I don't think I watched the finish at the time. 
Yeah, I don't think I saw it either, but I've seen so many interviews and documentaries about it because of Monty. I suppose if you're European, it was the Monty collapse, and if you're American, it's it was it was very much about Phil Mickelson. Yeah, that's a, that's what people remember. I also remember like at the time watching a bit of the earlier rounds, thinking the scoring was just <laughs> yeah. you know crazy. You know, yeah, most yeah. people were like. 10 over and stuff like that it was i could do this myself. it was brutal and I've, it is a very good chance it's going to be the same this week yeah absolutely yeah moving on then so enough about the build-up let's go through your picks tell us what what who you recommend well uh, it's it's not again it's not that straightforward or easy to, to pick a winner as as has been kind of touted in various different places you're gonna need a good short game. Uh, Jeff Ogilvy said that about what was the the key ingredient for how he won in in 2006. And they said his short game was just unbelievable. And Phil Mickelson said the same. He got up and down so many times. You're going to miss a lot of fairways. You're going to miss a lot of greens here. The fairways are tight. The rough is up. Um, The green complexes are, are very difficult. So this is a tough course and it's going to be made tougher by the fact that I think it's going to be quite breezy over Friday and Saturday. Temperatures are not going to be, I think Thursday looks normal temperatures. It's in the mid, mid twenties, but it's supposed to get, get very cool on, on Friday and even cooler on the weekend. So it'll probably won't even get up, get up to maybe even 20 degrees at the, at the maximum. It'll be cold in the morning. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be different to what they normally have in the PGA Tour. I think it's going to favor some of the more international players, maybe European-style player. And for that reason, I'm going for Tommy Fleetwood as my main pick this week. He hasn't been probably at his best form since the uh, lockdown was lifted and he came back to golf. But last week, he put in a sterling performance on a tougher than usual um, Billamora course in Portugal, I could the under there was I was questioning why he he made that entry into the Portugal Masters last week at the last minute, because he, he actually disrupted a lot of uh, betting markets early last week because for because of his uh, late entry into the tournament, and it's been kind of definitely vindicated. He came, I think he was second last week or third. It's third last week, actually, sorry, because Larry Cantor, my pick, <laughs> last week came second, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, he came third with a storming 66 on the, in the last round. He was driving the ball very well. He, he seems, he's definitely his swing is back. He's got a very good short game. He has that sort of slight draw, naturally, that you're going to need in a lot of holes in wing foot. I think his US Open pedigree is there. He's, he's finished second and third before. Shot 63 in Shinnecock two years ago. Played well in Aaron Hills the year before that. He likes the US Open Challenge. His game suits this. He's got a very good short game and, and his putting is back to where it was uh, pre-lockdown. He was playing very well pre-lockdown and I think he's got back to that that sort of level. So he's the headline selection this week. Two and, and a half Nigel, points each way, 28 to one. And Nigel, he'd be very popular this side of the water winner wouldn't he because yes he's due one and no a lot of players are due a major but he would he'd be very popular yeah very popular especially you know he did very well at the us Open, or sorry at the, at the at the open obviously he just came up against shane laurie who was on the form of his life but uh he he's going to take one at some point you'd imagine and yeah. exactly and that those sort of experiences you know he's been run up in the open run up at the us open their formative experiences on on the road to become a, a, a major champion himself. Yeah. Admittedly, he hasn't won in, in in on the PGA Tour, as Paul Azinger has reminded him a few times. <laughs> this is this is his chance to really, you know, stick it to a lot of people. He he's he's shown he has the bottle in high pressure situations with his performances in the Royal Cup. You know, I think this is his week, and he's a great price. Yeah. Super. The price is probably what's sealed it for me. Uh, previous majors, he's been a lot lower than 28 to 1. You know, he's been maybe 16, 20 to 1. 
I just found that that was a bit, you know, a bit ambitious for Tommy, but he's 28 to 1 this week, two and a half point, points each way. He's the headline selection. Now, another guy who uh, is also waiting to get his major is Hideki Matsuyama, also at 28 to 1, two points each way. And um, you mentioned that the um, fleet or winged foot, not Fleetwood, <laughs> <laughs> is a an AW AW uh, Tillinghast design course. Uh, well, there are a couple of other ones, major championship venues that are uh, Tillinghast's um, designs, and that they'd be Baltus Roll and Beth Page. And Hideki was fourth in Baltus Roll in 2016, and has played well in Beth Page as well. His short game is unbelievable at the moment. His stats are fantastic. I, I'm, I know one particular up and down from uh, the BMW a few weeks ago definitely sticks in my mind. So he's hitting the ball better. I think he's got the long game and the short game to perform well this week. His putting has been dreadful at times, but he's it's improved uh, during the FedEx Cup playoffs. And I think he's poised at, at 28 to 1 to definitely 10 this week. So he's the second selection. Third selection is also a man on a, on a kind of a somewhat of a comeback mission, but he's all he's a major champion already. It's Louis Eustazen, 66 to 1, a point each way. Louis, uh, you know, uh, he's been second. He's got the Grand Slam of runners up in. Uh, major championships. He loves playing the US Open. I think he's got that the the shot shape, the game, the the mentality to win a US Open. A lot of South Africans do. I'm thinking Ratifus and probably and Ernie Els has, has stand out as that sort of type of player. And I think he is in that mold. I think his form has come back during the FedEx Cup playoffs. 66 to 1 is a big price for him. So I think he'll go well this week. And the nostalgic pick is Mr. Phil Mickelson at 80 to 1. One point each way. There's nothing more that can be said about Phil in the US Open. It's going to be a big story this week. If he wins, he gets the Grand Slam of majors. Yeah. He has an unbelievable short game that, that, that is needed here. I think last week's run at the Safeway Open wasn't bad. He actually made a lot of, he made very few bogeys. He didn't make enough birdies. That was the problem. His, and his driving was a little bit erratic as per usual. But I still think he's got the competitive edge. He, he looks up for it, you know. Um, and 80 to 1 is a good price. Uh, fifth selection, fifth of nine selections. <laughs> <laughs> what is Wacking Neiman? 80 to 1, one point each way. Uh, Joaquin has been in unbelievable form uh, recently. Played very well uh, at, at the FedEx Cup playoffs, the BMW Championship. He was he was very close to getting in the, in the playoff there. Played very well at Eastlake. You know, throughout the whole season last, last year, he was just very consistent. He's got a... The draw shape that's needed. He's got an unbelievable touch around the greens. He's a little bit of an ungainly swing at times, but he, I think he's, you know, he's got that fighting quality and that raw energy to really to go close this week. I'm, I'm sneaking suspicion about him. Sixth selection is a guy who came third last year and came third last week as well at the Safeway Open. It's Chez Reedy. 125 to 1, a half a point each way. Jez is a very good, solid record uh, at the top 10s at the US Open. He hits unbelievable amount of fairways, which will definitely help this week. If he can get his fairways hit up around 70 to 80%, he's going to contend. He's just such a consistent player. Not long, and this is the long course, but I think that consistency will stand to him in what's going to be an absolute grind of a week. Uh, the seventh selection is a guy who's riding high at the top of the Corn Ferry Tour. It's Will Zalaratus at 125 to 1, half a point each way. Uh, Will is lighting up the Corn Ferry Tour at the moment. Uh, there's about 10 of the top 
Corn Ferry players who have been graciously given uh, entries into the US Open, which I think was a great idea. It probably should do it every year. And he's a guy that's going to light up the PGA Tour. He's ready and waiting to make that step up. And I think, you know, he's going to love playing this week. He's got a very good uh, long game. Uh, his putting would be a bit of a, a worry. But, you know, everyone's going to struggle on the greens this week. I think he can definitely run into a place. And our two outsiders, uh, both at 250 to 1, are two Frenchmen. It's Roman Langasque, who won recently at, it was, who did he win? He won at Celtic Manor recently on the European Tour. He's 250 to 1, a quarter of a point each way. He's a former amateur champion, won at Carnoustie. He likes playing on tough courses. Uh, his game is in super, super shape. You know, he's, he's got a, a, an all-around game. He's being marked out as a, as a player for the future. He's already confirmed that. I think a good showing at the US Open this week will just let the world know how good he is. And a bit of a wild card is Mike Lorenzo Vera, 251, also a quarter point each way. Yet to win the European Tour, but he is shown he can play well. He went, He was in the second last group on the weekend at the PGA and seemed to revel in that sort of environment. So I think he's got that grinding nature as well. So I think he'll go well this week. So there's the nine selections. Do you want me to go through them again? Yeah, go through. Yeah, please. Right, the main selection is Tommy Fleetwood, 28 to 1, two and a half points each way. Hideki Matsunana, 28 to 1, two points each way. Louis Yu stays in 66 to 1, a point each way. Phil Mickelson, 80 to 1, point each way. Joaquin Neiman, 80 to 1, a point each way. Ches Reeve, 125 to 1, a point, half a point each way. Will Zalaratus, 125 to 1, half a point each way. Roman Langasque, 250 to 1, quarter point each way. Michael Lorenzo Vera, 250 to 1, quarter point each way. Out of breath after that. Whoa. Good man. I also, I have another bet. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a patriotic one. It's in the amateur market. There'll be, I think there's, there might be 12 or 13 amateurs, if not more, playing this week. Again, USGA, like the Open, likes make make sure that amateurs get represented. It's our own amateur champion from last year who won at Port Marnock. It's James Sugru. I think he's 16 to 1 at the moment. There's, a, there's each way places in the amateur market as well. I think he's a good good value bet. Uh, a lot of my selections this week have favoured the um, late early draw. That means they play in the the second wave on Thursday and, and the first wave on Friday morning. Uh, I think the weather conditions are going to be better that way. So and James is playing in that that sort of that slot. So I think you can go well. Sixteen to one. Guy from down your way. James Seager from Mallow Golf Club. Very good. Well, we'll definitely throw a few bob on him as well. Yeah, super. Well, I like the nostalgia pick of Phil Mickelson. I think, you know, everyone will be rooting for him to win his uh, slam. So to have a few bob on him, or a couple of cent even, on him, we'll just keep that interest up. Tommy Fleetwood, decided a water, would be a very popular winner as well. So, yeah, I like your picks. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Well, everyone enjoy the US Open anyway. It's going to be brilliant to watch. Yeah, um, I think those greens are going to keep them honest. And as you say, it'll be, it'll be the man who can get up and down. That's, go- that's going to probably take this one. Okay. Yep. Right, well, likewise to yourself now, you need to get up and down on Saturday. And uh, yeah. <laughs> 69 would put you, you know, right in that position, I think, where you... you it could be there, thereabouts. Um, so here's hoping you can, you can, you can play a nice, solid golf on the day. Thank you, thank you. Um, okay, congrats, congratulations on getting to the class one final. Away as well, by the way. Oh yeah, thank you. Yes. Um, well, sadly for me, three semi-finals, just one victory. So um, we got beaten in the four ball on the nineteenth to a birdie with a shot. All right. What are you going to do? Um, I needed to get a hole in one. Was that Dermot or um... Dermot? Yeah. So the other Dermot. Yeah. Uh, got a birdie. He put it to eight feet. He, you, you know where the pin where the pin was in the first yellow. It was up the back right. Yeah. Good place to be on that green is below the hole on the right. So 
and that's where he finished. He was about eight feet, rolled it in. I knew on the tee, I needed the whole the tee shot to get us down to 20th. So, um, <laughs> and I didn't do a bad job of it either. I, I, I missed the birdie putt by a couple of inches. Um, but, uh, well, not a couple of inches. I'd say two balls outside the hole, maybe at most, uh, for birdie. But what can you do? So, yeah, so we're out of the four ball, out of the foursomes. But uh, I, I played one good day of golf, which was the Friday. So Friday I played well. Saturday I had nine good holes of golf. And on Sunday, it was patchy. Like I, We were two or three over in the four ball, which is pretty decent scoring. Um, but it just wasn't enough. But on the Friday... Are you still in the foursomes? No, sorry, that was in the four ball. In the, four, uh, in the foursomes, we were, beat, right. we were beaten in the semi-final. We had a poor performance. Now, no offence to the two guys who won it. Like, you know, they played their game and they won the game and they did well-deserving of it. But compared to... We were shooting probably six or seven over in each of our rounds up to that point. Yeah. And um, we were inside yeah. handicapped by about... Half day. And I think we were about 14 over um, in, in the semi-final. It was just not, not, not to our standard. So, you know, we, we weren't good enough to win it on the day and the lads were well and truly worthy of it. Actually, uh, Esmond is going to be playing with you on Saturday. So you'll get to meet... One of the semi one Oh, of yeah, the, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah, so class one final. I'm just waiting on Dara and Harry to see who's going to finish runner up to me, you know? That's, that's all it is. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, all the best at the weekend. See you then. Good luck. Bye. No, bye bye. So, just to confirm this podcast is not sponsored in any way. All views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the opinions of any entity whatsoever with which I have been, am now, or will be affiliated. Please do subscribe to the podcast, Brad Golf TV. You'll find me on Spotify, Pocket Casts, Google, etc., etc. Please follow, like, retweet, and share on social media. It's Brad Golf TV on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube. On Facebook, you'll find me at bradgolf.ie. And you can also drop me an email at bradgolftv at gmail.com. Looking forward to hearing from you in the weeks and months ahead. You've been listening to Brad Ball's podcast. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Please do come back soon and join me for another round.